come on in and find a place that you can grab a seat for the message this morning. Uh, Today we're going to be continuing our series called Gratitude Adjustment. There are all kinds of things that we can and should be grateful for, but this morning I'm going to focus in on one thing that we can and should be grateful for, and that's this church. We're not just grateful for this church because it's protecting us from a snowstorm right now. There's a lot of reasons that we can and should be grateful for this church. I was recently talking to a missionary a couple weeks ago, and they shared one of the things that's the most challenging for them about being a missionary is they don't get to be plugged into a local church like they used to be. This person said they grew up in church, spent pretty much every Sunday of their whole life in church up until the point that they left to go overseas and become a missionary. They said they made all kinds of friends at church. God did so much in and through them at church. But he oftentimes didn't appreciate church when he was growing up. It wasn't that he didn't like it. He actually did like it. He made friends and had all kinds of fun at church, and God did a lot in him. But he didn't really appreciate it until he didn't have it to enjoy. And then all of a sudden, he appreciated it a lot. When I heard this, him share this story with me, I realized how grateful we should be for this church that God has planted us in. How grateful we should be. There are things that are hard about church sometimes. As it turns out, churches are full of people, and people are people, and they do goofy stuff sometimes. We hurt each other, and we get offended, and all kinds of stuff happens. It doesn't just happen in church. It happens at work, and it happens in our family too, but sometimes people can get hurt in churches and that sort of thing. But it's still the place that God has called us to and planted us to grow together. Sometimes you can have something that's incredibly valuable in your life, and you don't realize it until you don't have it. Maybe some of you have gone through losing a loved one, and you knew you appreciated that person, but you didn't know how many things you were grateful for about them until they were no longer there. And then all of a sudden you realized how grateful you were for that person. When it comes to church... I would love to see us and people be grateful for them while we have them. Not wait until we don't have it, wait until we move away and then look back and say, man, I wish I could be back at that church and there were so many things that I appreciated about it. Dave Ramsey says, everyone gets hurt or offended or frustrated with church. The only people who don't are people who are not involved. Because churches are full of imperfect people. There's no perfect churches. This church included is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But it's still the place that God has called us together to be encouraged, to grow in relationship with each other, and to grow in our relationship with the Lord. I want to just ask you to close your eyes for a minute this morning. I won't throw anything at you, I promise. Just go ahead and close your eyes. And I want you to think for a second about what God has done in your life in this place. Maybe it's only your your second Sunday here, or maybe you've been here for 40 years. Just think for a second about some of what God has done in your life at this church. Remember times you came in and sat through worship and cried because you didn't have the strength to stand. Remember the times people surrounded you and supported you. Remember times you knelt at the altar and cried out to God for something and then saw him meet that need. Remember times in the Lord's presence where he ministered to you, and you couldn't even put into words what happened, but you knew it was important. Remember areas of your life that were in bondage and now are free. Remember friendships that were built here. 
Remember times of celebration. Remember weddings that happened in this room. Remember times of loss, funerals where you said goodbye to people that you loved. Remember coming to church with new babies. Remember times in the past where you wanted a place to belong, and Jesus brought you here. You can open your eyes. These are just a few of the things that happened for you here in this church, and probably each one of you have a long list of things that have happened for you here. My prayer is that this morning you would feel a great sense of gratitude for the place that God has called us to and the people that he has surrounded us to here. We're going to look at a portion of scripture this morning where Paul gives us really four keys for life, but I'm going to call them four keys of gratitude, four keys for gratitude for walking together in a church body. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Paul says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God, the Father, through him. The first thing that Paul says is that we, if we want to walk in gratitude for the church, this church body, is we need to embrace the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. This is in Colossians 3.15. He said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, as this body here, you were called to peace. There's really kind of two legs to peace that Paul refers to there. The first is let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And the second is since we're members of one body together, we're actually called to peace. Sometimes we wonder what we're called to. Paul tells us here, we're called to peace. This issue of peace is a real big deal. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but as it turns out, there's all kinds of division in the world around us. It seems like the world that we live in has gotten more and more polarized. And into that world, Paul says, we're called to peace. Amen? Um, I, when I was in Bible school, I took a pastoral ministry course. And in that course, they talked about the call to, be, to pastoral ministry and what that looked like and the responsibility. And they talked about all kinds of practical things about being a pastor. And once a month in that course, they would invite in someone who had been a pastor for a while to share some of what they had learned about being in ministry. And then at the end of uh, that time that that pastor was with us, we could ask some questions. So that pastor shared, and when he finished, I asked him what the hardest part about being in ministry was. And he put his head down, and he started to cry. And then he laughed, and then he said, you know what? It's paint colors and curtains. I said, paint colors and curtains? Like, what could be hard about paint colors and curtains? He said, well, it's, sometimes it's carpet colors, too. And I said, okay, well, what's difficult about paint colors and curtains and, and, and carpet colors? And he said, you know, you would think that church splits would happen over interpretation of Scripture or theology or that sort of thing. But that's not oftentimes what church splits happen over. He said, sometimes they happen over things like paint colors and curtains. He said, probably the most difficult thing that I ever went through in ministry. Um, he said, one night we were at a board meeting in our church, and one of my leaders said that they thought we should make over the sanctuary. We needed to bring it up to like modern standards, and we needed to, to renovate it. 
And he said, so that person kind of shared a little bit, and some people agreed. And then there were some other people that felt like that was not really a good utilization of the church's funds. They felt like the sanctuary had been updated recently enough, and there was things that we could do with that money that would be better. So we said, I, at the end of that meeting, I just said, why don't we just take some time and pray about it, and then we'll talk about it at our next meeting. And he said, we came back to our me next meeting, and it was pretty clear that no one had prayed about it. And he said, and each position had kind of just bolstered themselves and became more emboldened in their perspective. He said, the person who, um, was, who thought that we should renovate the sanctuary, he said, they came with a PowerPoint presentation. No prayer, but a PowerPoint presentation saying, this is what the sanctuary could look like, and this is what it should look like, and this is how much it's going to cost, and we think we should do it. And he said, in the other position, the other person on the other side hadn't moved an inch either, and they felt like, no, this isn't really what we should be doing. It's not a good utilization of church funds. And he said, we kind of went back and forth, and I tried to help them see each other's perspective. He said, but I realized quickly how bad this could go and how this could turn out. He said, I said, let's just take some time and pray about it. Then he said he got together with these two people, and these two people were really his key leaders in the church. They were his elders. He got together with him and his wife outside of that meeting, and they said to these people, we're just asking you, please, don't let this become a place of division. Like We feel like the enemy could really divide us over this thing, and we don't want to see that happen. And he tried to help them see each other's perspective, and they just couldn't seem to do it. It was like they were just digging in on either side of this issue. And then he said, before I knew it, I was back to being a plumber. And I said, back to being a plumber? And he said, yeah, I was a plumber before I was a pastor. He said, don't feel too bad for me, though. Dealing with PVC and PEX and copper is a lot easier than dealing with people sometimes. He said, but before I knew it, I was back to being a plumber. I said, what happened? He said, well, it just kind of escalated. Half the people who felt like we should have done a renovation packed up and left and went down the road to another church. Probably 25% just felt like they were caught in the crosshairs and just kind of went like, this isn't really what I want Sunday morning to feel like, and they packed up and left. He said, before I knew it, I was left with a church that was 25% of the size that it had just been a few weeks earlier, and they couldn't afford a pastor anymore, so I was back to being a plumber. And he said, being a plumber wasn't the hardest part of that situation. The hardest part of that situation was watching people that I've known for a long time that really loved the Lord. They genuinely did, and they cared about each other. The hardest part was watching them tear each other apart, watching them attack each other, watching them say things about each other that it was like, you know what, like, you know that's not true, and I know that's not true. Why are you saying that? These people attacked each other, and it was horrible. And he said, you know what, this is not like it was somehow an isolated incident. This is more common in the body of Christ than you might realize. This is the plan that the enemy uses to divide us against each other. So my question to you this morning is what color should we paint the sanctuary? Just kidding. That's not my question. I don't, I don't want to lose half of you this morning. Um, my question to you this morning is are you protecting the peace of this place? Because Paul says that you and I are called to peace. Now, could that like get out of balance, and could you get bulldozed by other people and be in a place where no one wants to speak up and say what's true? Maybe. But I think we're, in this day and age, much more at risk at being on the other side of the polarized world that we live in. So are you protecting the peace? Are you pursuing peace and helping us walk in peace together 
Or are you stirring something else up? Are you stirring up gossip or drama or division? I think it would serve us well to realize that everyone is different. They're different than you, and they're different than me. People see situations differently. We have different personalities and different perspectives, different life experience, and different filters that we pull life through. If we're going to keep peace in this place where God has planted us, we need to start to see the best in each other and believe the best about each other, to start to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We will ask more questions and bring less accusations. When someone has a different perspective than us, we'll greet it with curiosity instead of accusation. We will try to understand the other person rather than trying to be understood ourselves. Now, I just want to be clear about one thing. I'm not preaching on this because I think this is a huge issue in our church. I'm preaching on it because it's what the Bible says. Um, I actually think I want to commend our church here for walking through a time in the world that, like I said, is incredibly polarizing, and there's different opinions and perspectives on everything under the sun, and everyone wants to share their opinion and this perspective very loudly. I feel like our church has done a really good job of maintaining the peace and walking in peace together. So I want to thank you guys for that. The second thing that Paul says to do is to share the testimony of Christ. This is in verse 16. He says, Let the message of Christ dwell amongst you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. We ought to make it a practice of sharing the testimony of Christ with each other. We tend to be pretty guarded and if we're going through something hard, most of the time, we don't really like to share that. At least that's true for me. If, I, if I'm going through a hard time, I don't really naturally want to just share that with people and tell people that I'm going through a hard time. Maybe that's more true for guys than girls, I don't know. But for me, if I'm going through something hard, I don't really want to share that with everyone under the sun. But lately, I've been trying to be intentionally vulnerable with my friends, I realized something about a year ago. I realized that when people asked me how I was doing, I would always say I was good or I was fine. And most of the time that was true. Most of the time I'm good. If I'm not good, then I'm at least fine. But I realized that there was times that people asked me how I was doing, and I would hear those words come out of my mouth, either I'm good or I'm fine. And I was not good and I was not fine. Maybe I was struggling. Maybe I was afraid. Maybe I was discouraged. I was going through something in my life, and I realized I just lied to my friend. Like, why did I do that? Why did I do that? I did it because I didn't want to be vulnerable. So what I started doing is I started paying attention when someone would ask me that question, and I would really ask myself, how am I doing? And if I'm good or I'm fine, then you'll hear me say I'm good or I'm fine, and that's probably what you'll hear me say most of the time because usually I'm good or fine. But if I'm not one of those things, if I'm discouraged or I'm not in a good place, then you're going to hear me say that because I've decided I'm not going to be dishonest with people that are my friends and care about me. And when I first started doing this, to be honest, I felt a little bit weak and I felt uncomfortable doing that. I didn't really want to do it, but I decided to do it anyway. So with my friends, when they would ask me how I was doing, I would be honest. And what I found out was none of them responded by looking at me like I was weak. They would oftentimes ask me more questions about what was going on to provide a place for me to share what was going on. And then it also created a place where then I could give a testimony and share 
about how God had brought me through something or carried me through something or something had changed in my life. So that place that felt like a weak and a vulnerable place actually became a place where a testimony was able to be shared between friends. Something else happened too is that my friends started being more vulnerable with me because they felt like if I opened up and shared if I wasn't doing okay, then that gave them a place where they felt like they could do the same thing too. And then we could support one another and care for one another, and then eventually I'd get to hear the testimony of what God had done in one of my friend's life. I was talking to someone last week. It was someone who was going through a hard time financially, and they felt like they were in a really bad place, and they really didn't see any way out of this, the place that they were in. And this person was someone who had been open with me about what had been going on in their life for a while. So first of all, I was able to look at the situation with them, and I was able to see that, first of all, it wasn't as bad as they thought it was. It, it felt overwhelming to them, but it wasn't as bad as it looked to them. But then I also was able to remind them from the past of times where they had shared with me that they had been struggling and God had brought them through that time, even times where they had struggled financially in the past. And I was able to encourage that person and say, if God was able to bring you through this in the past, he will be able to bring you through it again. We need to get in the practice of sharing our testimony with people around us. If God has done something in you, if God has been faithful, if there's a prayer that's been answered, share it with someone because you never know what that might do in them, how it might encourage them, how it might plant a seed of faith in them that might grow into something amazing. When's the last time you shared a testimony with someone? When's the last time you were going through something and you opened up to someone and said, hey, I'm struggling in this area and I need help. Would you stand with me? When we do that, we create a place where testimonies can grow and be shared among each other. I asked Kathy Maurer to come and to share a testimony with you this morning, so I want to invite her to come and to do that. Oh, could we get a mic, Mark? Thanks. No, I'm just grabbing water. ago um, and to give you context I want you to know that I I grew up in a relatively large family uh, with typical dysfunction uh, and it, it, you know when I say typical we're all broken right and uh, as children we find our role and my role was quickly is going to be peacemaker as the middle child and the eldest daughter I want things to be okay because things were a little chaotic and a little unpredictable, and I don't know if Dad's going to go off the rails. So that was my role. Uh, and if you can imagine a ship, I've, I've thought a little bit about this testimony. Imagine a ship on the ocean. My job is to make sure that ship stays afloat and nobody rocks the boat. Um, now, it's a huge ship, and I'm eight years old, so I'm not as... I'm not as in tune to reality as I think I am when I'm 8 and 18 and 28, when I'm busy trying to make sure nobody rocks the boat. So when uh, John talks about let the peace of God rule in your heart, I desperately wanted peace 
because I was the peacemaker. That was my role. And I could make it happen if I obeyed the rules and I did what I was told and, and could get the job done. I mean, I, and I kept my head down and I didn't like conflict, so let's not have a fight. You're right, I'm wrong, that's okay. And that's how I maintained some semblance of peace um, for quite a long time. I surrendered my life to the Lord when I was 16 years old, but even in that, you know, and I met my husband, we got married, we started having children. I had uh, three little ones at the time, and everything was really going along well, and I somehow attributed some of that to my ability to keep things at peace. People who have crazy lives, I don't know what you're doing wrong. All you have to do is keep peace. Um, but of course, and many of you can attest to this, life hits the fan at some point. And that for us happened uh, with a, uh, I won't go into it, but an a extended family situation that um, was like a hurricane came up underneath that ship and it started rocking everywhere and it threw me off my feet and onto the floor. And that came in the form of the most obvious opposite piece. I was full on generalized anxiety with panic disorder pretty much overnight. And lived that way for um, at least a year, probably closer to two. It was at that time, just before this event happened, when the Lord happened to bring my little family out to Warsaw from Rochester, the Rochester area. We came out to Warsaw. We hadn't yet planted ourselves in a church, and just, just in terms of what John's talking about, the church, but we were here now. And when this thing happened, when this event, this swell came up and nearly tipped us over, it certainly felt like the darkest, more, most horrible season of my life. Um, the Lord in his mercy and grace brought us to this place under the pastoring of Pastor Chris and Karen. And through their ministry and their prayer and their encouragement and the many questions I had about why does a good God let bad things happen, I thought I had it figured out. Um, through their encouragement and their literally walking me to uh, church to get prayer. And I, I sought prayer and I sought prayer and the Holy Spirit came and, and counsel was given and the, old, the word of God opened up and the Lord began to counsel me by his spirit and say, let's get at this. Because it wasn't a magic pill. There are pills, but I knew that the problem was rooted in my soul and he began to counsel me, and he, he began to have me confront the Goliath of fear and anxiety and panic. He's like, what are you really afraid of? And we got there, God, I'm afraid you're not good. And through the word of God and, again, the counsel and, and pastoring the, 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 the incredible friendship that, that, that our pastors are, I was able to come on the other side and found freedom from fear. And, and panic became um, further and further apart. So it wasn't overnight, but through this walking with me and this surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit and the truth that is in the Word of God, it began to topple lies in my heart, and I, I stand here now free from anxiety and panic. I haven't seen that for, I don't know, 30 years. It's been a long time, maybe not 30, maybe 28 uh, years, and and he 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 continually brought me out of that. But can I say 
that the that as wonderful as that healing and deliverance is, that the, the thing that still catches my breath, the thing that's hard for me to find words to put around, is that when the Lord went deeper into the root of fear, what was there was ugly sin because I thought I had it in control. I thought that my ability to do this was working. I wasn't dependent upon him. I was finding my own source of peace. And as I was successful, I became increasingly self-righteous and arrogant and pharisaical and I've got it figured out and you don't. That's the root of that fear. I could have blamed and been a victim, but the Lord wouldn't let me sit there. He says, let's take a look at this. And it was hard to look at. It was the most difficult part of this story is to look at my sin square in the face because I could see that justice says I do not have relationship with God. There's no way I'm going to have peace because this... And the Lord, I looked up, at, up to him as, as uh, afraid as I was to face him in that. And he said, sweetheart, because that's what he calls me, sweetheart. This is why I died on the cross. This is it. Yes, healing. Yes, deliverance. But this is freedom. This is salvation. And I was, and again, um, Pastor Chris in particular would help me through the theology of all this and the word of God. And I come in and I'm like, Oh my gosh, God is good all the time. And his grace is my foundation. It is my salvation. And I am overjoyed that I get to share this testimony with you this morning and with, with anybody who will listen because what he has done for me, he will do for anybody. So I'd venture to guess that there are people here that are currently struggling with fear and anxiety, um, just because I know that that's something a lot of people struggle with. And if you wouldn't have heard Kathy share that testimony, you might have never have known somebody that you actually know yourself who had been set free from fear and anxiety. Maybe all you would know, have known in your life was people who um, learn coping mechanisms and figure out how to keep it at bay and just kind of try and keep stuff okay so that they don't end up in that place of anxiety. But now, because of Kathy's willingness to share her testimony of what God did in her life, I bet there are people who just heard her say that, and there was a seed of faith that was planted in your heart that if God could set her free from fear and anxiety and deal with the root cause of it, not just coping mechanisms, not just how to get by and deal with it, but actually set her free so that she can say it's been 28 years since she's had anything like that in her life. If he did that for her, he can do it for you too. And you know what? Kathy is not somehow the only person in the room with a testimony. Every single one of you who are here today have a testimony about God doing something in your life. Some of you have thousands of testimonies about things that God has done in your life. And when we don't share those things, when we don't share the testimony of Christ, we rob other people from hearing what they need to hear. So we have to get in the practice of sharing what God is doing and has done in our life. The third thing that Paul points to is the song of Christ. This is in uh, chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing to God with gratitude in your heart. It's so powerful to come together and to sing songs about Jesus and songs to Jesus. 
Sometimes you might have to sit in a chair through worship service because of pain in your body. Sometimes you're going through something super hard and you can barely mutter the words. Sometimes you just saw God answer a prayer in your life and you're super full of faith. Whatever place you find yourself in, maybe you just got awful news about something that's going horribly wrong in your life. Whatever place you find yourself in, I want to encourage you this morning to get up on Sunday morning, put on your dancing shoes, and get to church to worship. Because you need to worship, and we need you to worship. There are times where I've sat in worship services, and man, I needed to hear other people singing. There's times where I got up to lead worship, and I didn't even have it in me. I'm mad at God. I'm frustrated. I'm hurting. And Nick's back there playing the drums, pushing me harder and harder, and I'm like, all right, your, your worship is encouraging me right now. We need that from each other. We need to hear each other dive into worship. When we come together and when we worship, when we hear our brothers and sisters singing, what happens is we take our eyes off of the thing that seems so huge and difficult in our life, the thing that seems bigger than we can even handle, and we put our eyes on the God that is actually big enough to handle it. We see how big he is. We see how powerful he is. And all, that, all of a sudden, that thing that seems so big and so difficult, all of a sudden looks puny compared to this powerful God that literally breathed this entire world into existence. The one who feels hopeless suddenly is filled with hope. The one who has lost their strength is, has strength breathed into their body. The one who's at the end of their rope with their kids finds some more rope and doesn't use it to whoop the kids. When we come together in worship, God takes us in our place of weakness and he breathes strength into us. And what's crazy is each person who's sucking air on this planet is actually already a worshiper. Each person who's taken up a seat here this morning, you already are a worshiper. There's no question about anybody being a worshiper. It's just a question of what or who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping some small God that's not actually capable of dealing with the stuff in your life? Or are you worshiping the one true God that can deal with all the stuff, that can take your broken life and make something beautiful out of it. The last thing that Paul says is the name of Christ. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. This is Paul's last step that he gives us to walking in gratitude for this church that he's given us. Make sure that whatever you're doing and saying is in the name of the Lord. I had a situation happen um, a little while ago. I had a, someone who had a, a wildly different perspective than me about a friend of mine. I kind of knew my friend and thought of them in a certain way. This person came and wanted to confront who they believed my friend was. And who they believed my friend was was they believed my friend was evil. They said that. They said they believed my friend was evil, was a scam artist, was a liar, was deceiving everyone. They believed all this crazy stuff about my friend. Now, as you can imagine, I was not too happy about what they believed about my friend. What they believed about my friend was actually a lie. I had years of compelling evidence to prove to them that this was not true about my friend, 
that my friend was a good man, and what they were saying about my friend was not true. Like, I was ready to go to war with this person over what they were saying about my friend. And what they were jeopardizing in my friend's life based on what they believed about my friend that was not true at all, not even a little bit. I was worked up to say the least. And I, I, I ended this meeting with this person, and then I started going and, and putting together artillery to go to war with this person. I was going to light this person up and tear them up like you can't even imagine. Like what they tried to do to my friend, I was about to do to them. And I'm going to do it better than they were going to do it to my friend. It's going to be bad. Like this is not going to be pretty. And here I am in that place, and I'm getting ready to attack this person. And the Holy Spirit shows up in the room and says, don't you dare. Don't you dare. And I'm like, this is the right thing to do. Like, I should defend somebody who can't defend themselves. And I should help someone who's in need. Like, I started quoting scriptures to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's like, buddy. And I said, nope. We're like, we're not doing this. You're not doing it. So I'm like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? And I read this scripture. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord. So I'm like, well, what I was going to do was not going to be in the name of the Lord. I can tell you that for darn sure. So I said, okay, what can I do in word or deed in the name of the Lord here? I felt like the Holy Spirit said to wrap my words in love, which was particularly challenging because I would rather wrap them in hate in that moment, but I'm going to try and wrap them in love. So I sit down and I decide, you know what, it's probably better for me to write a message to this person than it is for me to talk to this person in person because if I talk to them in person, some stuff is going to come out and I don't think it's going to be good. So I'll write a message. I can craft each word carefully and make sure that I say what I want to say. So I did that. I wrote a message. And then I thought, you know what? I should probably have someone else read this and make sure that I'm crafting this from a position of love and care and not from a place of anger. So I asked my wife to check out the the message that I wrote. So I said, I handed her a yellow highlighter and I said, can you just read through this and just highlight anything that is that's not loving, that's not gracious, that's not wrapped in grace. Highlight anything. So she read the message, and then she walked out of my office, and I, she was like fiddling around in the copy room. I'm like, what is she doing? So she comes back, and she went and found yellow paper and just took my, my, my page and printed it on yellow paper. So the whole thing, top to bottom, is yellow, and <laughs> handed it back to me and says, there was nothing gracious or loving in that message at all. I'm like, really? I genuinely tried. Like, can you imagine what I would have done or said? Like, Oh my goodness. So I was like, all right, I'll try again. So I tried again, and I handed her a a yellow highlighter. I said, there might be like a couple things, like maybe an exclamation point I shouldn't have had there. You could highlight that, but most of it should be good now. And she came back with a paper that was yellow and white stripes. So it's like we're making progress, but we're still not there. So then I'm like, all right, how about you just sit next to me and just watch me type, and anything you see me say and type that is not wrapped in love or grace, just, just let me know. So in the end, I ended up having a message that was wrapped in love and wrapped in grace, and I could share it with this person as unto the Lord. And the last thing I said is I blessed that person in the name of the Lord, which was challenging for me, but I did it. At least I typed it. Maybe I didn't really do it, but I typed it. So I send this message to this person, and you know, I started to think about it. If I would have dropped the hammer on that person like I wanted to, it would have gotten ugly it would have gotten really bad. Like, not only would they, that person not have changed their, their view of my friend, but they would have wrapped me up 
in the, in the camp of my friend who was also evil. So not only is my friend evil, but his pastor is evil too. So this makes a lot of sense now as to why he's evil, because he has an evil pastor. Like, I would have made a total disaster out of that situation. But in the end, the situation ended up working out. The person ended up coming around, and stuff ended up working out for my friend. But it was only able to happen because I made sure whatever I did or said was done or said in the name of the Lord. It would serve us well to check ourselves on this. Is what I'm about to do or say in the name of the Lord, is it wrapped in love? Is it wrapped in grace? Is it wrapped in mercy? What I was going to say to that person was true. But the problem is my spirit was all messed up. I was going to come out of a place of anger and not come out of a place of love. But because eventually I was able to come out of a place of love, the situation was able to be resolved. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. These four things Paul gives us, the peace of Christ, the testimony of Christ, the song of Christ, and the name of Christ, to walk in this church with gratitude. I started out sharing with you about a missionary friend of mine who loved being a part of a local church, but now as a missionary, he's not able to do that. And because he's in that place, now he looks back with gratitude at the time that he had when he was a part of a local church. How much better would it be to be able to express your appreciation of someone you love face-to-face instead of at a funeral? That would be a, that'd be a big deal, right? Like Rather than just to look back with gratitude, why not have gratitude with that person now? How much better would it be to appreciate this church that God has given us, this place that he's planted us now, rather than to move away one day and look back and say, man, I wish I could be a part of that church again. God has given us this place to grow together, to learn together, to grow in our faith, and to grow in our relationship with each other, to receive the support that we need, the help that we need, the freedom that we need. We ought to be grateful for that. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I thank you so much for this place that you've given us. This place that's full of imperfect people, but we love each other and we care for each other. And it's a place that you've given us to grow together. Lord, I ask you to help us to have eyes to see this place that you've given us and be grateful for it. And Lord, help us to express our gratitude out of that place. In your name we pray, amen. I just want to encourage you as you as you leave today, to go find someone that you can say, I'm glad that you're in this place with me. I'm glad you're here in this church with me. Amen? Have a blessed week.